On October 25, 1971, a magical place known as Walt Disney World was dedicated on 27,000 acres of land in central Florida near Orlando. Unfortunately, Walt Disney himself wasn't present on that day because he had passed away about five years earlier, leaving his brother, Roy Disney, to lead the completion of what was known back then as Project X. Anyway, the story goes that after the ceremonies, Roy Disney and a colleague were standing on Main Street, USA, looking up toward the Cinderella Castle in the middle of the Magic Kingdom, when the colleague commented to Roy with a note of sadness that it's just too bad that Walt isn't here to see all of this. Roy Disney shook his head and said to his friend, on the contrary, Walt saw this before anybody else which is to say that Walt Disney had a vision, and that vision was so compelling to him and then to those who came after him that through a season of challenges and difficulties and obstacles and a lot, a lot of money, it finally became reality. It became the Magic Kingdom. Well, some of you longtime members of St. Andrew might recall, I told that story back in the early 2000s on more than one occasion when our congregation was located at a smaller site about five miles from where I'm standing right now. And after a period of prayer and discussion about how we might reach more people with the gospel of Jesus, with the ministry of Christ, we began to envision a new place, a new church home albeit on 13 acres and not 27,000. And while some people wanted to understandably stay where we were, the vision did catch on through renderings of what it might look like, floor plans for us to look at, and a prayer path that was created on this 13-acre field of dreams in the exact shape and size of the church building that was ultimately built and dedicated to the glory of God who saw it before anybody else and gave us that vision so that through a season of challenges and some obstacles and difficult moments and millions of freely given dollars, it became reality. Not just a place, but for the sake of an experience, not in a magic kingdom, but in the gracious and glorious kingdom of God. And today I share those two somewhat different stories as we come to our annual celebration of the transfiguration of our Lord, bringing us to the end of the season of Epiphany, on the other side of which is Ash Wednesday and the 40 days of Lent. In fact, it might interest you to know that our congregation made its decision to make that move on a Transfiguration Sunday. And that we actually signed the settlement papers that formalized all of it on another Transfiguration Sunday a few years later. And so this day has history for us. It calls us back to some of our own mountaintop experiences. And yet none of them compare to the mountaintop experience of Peter, James, and John, who were led to that high place by Jesus where he was transfigured, where he shined with the dazzling light of heaven in a way that enabled them to see him like they had never seen him before, shining with the light of God, revealing Christ to them in a very powerful and a very transforming way. They also had a vision 
of Moses and of Elijah, who were impressive company because they represented the law and the prophets of old. And as you heard from the Gospel of Mark and in the other Gospels, Peter wanted to stay there, understandably, and he even offered to build these dwelling places for Jesus and for Moses and for Elijah, which may sound a little strange or odd to you, but in fact, that is what pious Jews would do annually when they celebrated a holiday known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Peter wanted to respond to the vision by doing something, by building something beautiful, because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. But God had a different vision for Peter and James and John and for the others who weren't on the mountaintop that day as he called them to go back down into the plain with him, not realizing that what they had experienced that day was a preview of Easter Sunday. Kind of like a fireworks display that you might go and see where at the beginning it looks so impressive to you, but then it leads you to the grand finale, which in this case is the resurrection of the crucified Christ and the power of a light that shines through the darkness of every person's life. And so even though they understandably wanted to stay on that mountaintop that day, that vision given by God in the person of Christ gave them the power to go on back down into the valley where there were great challenges and difficult moments and obstacles to overcome and difficulties to endure. As they followed Jesus from place to place and he ministered to the sick and he welcomed sinners and he proclaimed good news to people and he stood up against the opposition and ultimately he went to a cross where he suffered and he died so that the light of God could shine into our hearts in time and for all eternity. And now today, we begin that journey again. We get on that road, spiritually, if not physically, from the transfiguration of our Lord to the 40 days of Lent, from a sneak preview of Easter Sunday to the price that love paid to bring you and me to the grand finale of life with God forever. Well, in case you were wondering, no, I haven't forgot that today is also Valentine's Day. And it also turns out that I think Valentine's Day actually fits into the story of our journey from transfiguration and into the 40 days of Lent, because one of the possible origins of Valentine's Day takes us back to the third century and to a Christian priest whose name was Valentine. When the Emperor Claudius II uh, decided that single men would make much better soldiers in the Roman army than those with wives and families. And besides that, if they happened to be killed in battle, there wouldn't be wives and families left to have to support. And so Claudius II issued a law, a decree preventing those young single men from being married. But Father Valentine had a different vision. And for love and for life, he performed marriages for young lovers in secret. 
until his actions were ultimately discovered and Claudius II had him put to death. The point being, the true love isn't always about a mountaintop experience. It involves willful commitment and service and sacrifice as it did for St. Valentine, as it did for the Redeemer of this world, for whom love was a cross. So the light of God's grace and God's truth could shine through the darkness of every person's life and lead us to the grand finale of which this day, this moment, is a preview for us as it was for Peter, James, and John. And so today, we celebrate God's presence as we go forward. Because that grand finale is, is not the end of a pandemic, even though I do have a vision that someday we will meet each other without masks, shoulder to shoulder, singing up a storm, and our ministry will be going together and going forward full blast once again. But what I'm really talking about is God's triumph of light over darkness, of truth over lies, of life over death itself, so that we might know the glory of God in the midst of all of the challenges and whatever the hardships and whatever the obstacles and whatever the questions or burdens or adversities of this life may happen to be, because our vision of our life with God gives us the power to go on through the valley, through all of it, until we experience the grand finale of our life with God forever. And so I encourage you to walk in the light. I encourage you to recapture God's vision of Christ shining in your life. And I invite you to hear the voice of the one who took delight in his son, speaking to you today and saying, these are my daughters and sons, and I love them, and I am giving them a glimpse of the glory that's in store for them until the grand finale comes and it's realized fully in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.